Hi everyone, this is Whitney and welcome back to an episode of Spastic Chatter. If you're new here, Spastic Chatter is a platform meant to feature those in the cerebral palsy community and I get together with individuals with CP like myself to have an uncensored chat, if you will, about what it's like living with this type of disability. And I took a bit of a break, but I'm back with Jennifer and she's the content producer for Tate and she's written a lot of articles for different magazines in the UK and uh, she sounds like an awesome person so I'm excited to get to know her so I will let Jennifer introduce herself and then we'll get on to the conversation so take it away Jennifer. Thank you so much, Whitney. Um, I love um, I love Spastic Chatter, so it's lovely to be asked. So yeah, I am Jennifer McShane, and I'm a journalist, writer. Um, I'm Irish, but I'm currently based in London at the moment. And I do indeed work for the Tate. So I'm an editorial content producer, which is exactly as it sounds. So I produce editorial for uh, the different kind of platforms within Tate, lots of copy for exhibitions, social media, um, anything like that. There's nice features on art. Um, so anything, anyone who needs uh, a bit of copy, I usually help them out uh, with that. And I'm also uh, a co-chair for their disability network, uh, one, of the, one of many co-chairs for the disability network. So uh, in this kind of role, we talk about all, all kinds of disability and access needs. Needs, um, from from the viewpoint that you know no two people have the same uh, needs as people with disabilities visible or not so um, I do that as well and then in my spare time when, when I have some um, I do write for other magazines and newspapers and websites in Ireland and the UK so uh, a lot of it is disability related um, a lot of it is culture related so film tv that's a, a big passion of mine um, and I'm always kind of one of my hopes for the kind of future is that we see ourselves represented on screen a bit more and um, particularly um, disabled women because I noticed that a lot of times when there is disability on screen it's often seen from the viewpoint of the man with the disability so me before you my left foot the sessions you know, all of those are, you know, good films. I think The Theory of Everything is another one, kind of very good films, but not only do they always speak about the male perspective, they also feature, you know, fully able-bodied actors um, instead of using actors from the disabled community. So it's a big point of attention when you talk about seeing disability accurately uh, on screen. So that's another kind of passion of mine and something I write about I wrote, I wrote a piece for stylist um, about that um, and what was kind of when the editor was asking me like are there any more kind of women <laughs> examples it was a real struggle to find even six or seven that were actually um that were women but I think only one uh only one featured actually had a ha actually had the disability the rest were played by fully able-bodied actors so that's kind of a mixed bag there but <laughs> I like to talk about disability I suppose in, in many many forms uh, as well as my own personal experience with it having cerebral palsy. Awesome there's so much to unpack there um I'd, I'd like to say I liked for like our first question or per se I'd like to take it back to like your origin story like how did you how did you get started like writing and like what is your what 
what is your why? Um, the reason I got started is that kind of when I was in school, I wasn't very academic, or at least I didn't think so. And I always loved writing. English and writing was the only thing I felt I could do quite well. And at the time I wasn't, I was young, I wasn't really thinking of, well, I'd love to use, I'd love to write about my own experience for, you know, other people with cerebral palsy. Um, at the time, that kind of wasn't considered an option for me at the time. Um, I probably due to the fact that I wasn't as comfortable with the cerebral palsy as I am now when I was young because I didn't really have anyone to relate to I didn't really have a, a community of you know disabled people that I could talk to or anything about it so I really decided I want to write because I loved writing and I love to tell stories and I love people and people um are the basis of the most interesting stories and I thought if I got to talk to people all day and write about their stories that would be the best the best kind of job. So I suppose it's a little bit old school now. I started out when I left college. I started out in local newspapers, which certainly where I am, there's not that many of them now, but it was before online was really big. And I got all my, you got all your training in a local newspaper when I was there. So it was just down the road from where I lived. You read about community news things going on around the area so um I really got a lot of my training there and I stayed there for four years um and then I kind of during that time I suppose online was starting to become you know online websites kind of it was evolving from blogs I'd always had a blog so I'd always liked kind of the internet and that side of writing but when I kind of finished the local newspaper I did a couple of you know work experiences at different places I did some PR um, and kind of kind of dabbled in just to see what I wanted to do and I realized then that yes I wanted to write but it didn't just have to be newspapers it didn't just have to be print it could be for online so I got a job then working for Image Magazine um, or Image.ie which was which is still is their their website um, and it was quite early days but then I mainly was hired as a digital writer then so I wrote about all kind of Similar, um, quite different to, I suppose, the local community news. It was more, you know, culture-based issues for women, things like that, um, which I found really, really kind of useful in that I really developed more skills in terms of developing what's now called advertorial or commercial content. That was something I hadn't done before. Um, and that, for anyone that isn't aware, that is when you work with a brand or someone other than your main employer to create content. Um, so it's not always obvious. Uh, a lot of magazines uh, like the New York Times or newspapers or the, or the Times do that kind of content really well. So you won't know it's necessarily different than any other editorial unless you scroll down to the bottom of the page. Um, so I really developed that um, and when I was in Image Magazine and then I kind of slowly transferred to the print um, magazine doing um, books, actually, a lot of books writing. That's kind of where I found a kind of niche within the magazine. And then I used that to write about some disability features when I was there. Um, I wrote a lot about body issue and disability was one feature that I particularly liked. Um, and from then on, I kind of just, it was a slow, it was a slow progress. Um, and it's not really, at least for me, it wasn't a career that you go in thinking of, you know, how much am I going to earn kind of thing? Because, you know, you don't get paid, you still don't get paid a lot to to write, unfortunately. But 
I kind of left image and then I took briefly for a year I took an editor job at another um at another kind of online and um, kind of company for a few different websites I did it for a year and then I went freelance I decided I wanted to write work for myself for a change um and really just broaden my horizons I wanted to see how many other different publications I could write for could I adapt to their style you know could I write for anyone as opposed to writing for one particular place um which I thought would really be good for for kind of my own skills and things like that so I mean it was hard if anyone asks about freelance work it is hard you are you know your own boss you have to do everything but I really felt that once I could do freelance and I did it full-time for for four years that I could really do anything because you're used to being adaptable. You work to different deadlines at different days for different editors, for different publications. So that was really kind of, that was really when I thought, oh, I could, I could really do this. I could, I could kind of get involved in, in, in any part of it that I wanted for any publication. And I really then I just kind of felt a bit stuck. I kind of didn't know what else to do. I was in Ireland, in Dublin at that point, and I didn't know what else to do. And I felt the city was very inaccessible for me and kind of renting was almost impossible. So I and I love art and I love culture. So I decided I would try and move to London. Um, and that after, <laughs> it was a lot of effort and very hard to move countries. I think for anyone, let alone if you have physical challenges with cerebral palsy as I, as I had and have. But yeah, and then I eventually, I started to job hunt. I decided I wanted something new, something different and writing for um, an art gallery and, and one like Tate is something I've never done before. Um, so I really loved that idea, but also, the main reason was that I um I liked the disability um kind of process. When I went to apply, they kind of said, you know, please tell us if you have a disability because we want we know the sector, the art sector is underrepresented. We want our you know employees to be more diverse. We want to include all different kinds of people and abilities. And please let us know. And if you meet, you know, the basic requirements for an interview and you tell us that you identify as disabled, um, we will give you an interview. So I thought that was very nice. It was the first time I think I'd actively seen a company say, you know, please tell us about your disability. Um, and I found that great. And it was only when I, I got in that I discovered their their disability network and all the kind of good stuff they do to try and see that more people are represented in the arts. Um, but yeah, so it's year two in Tate now. So not 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 as new, but still quite a new role. Um, and then it was kind of through Tate and the disability network and, and a video I did last year with the, with the social team for International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which did really well. It was me and my Kay Walker going around and talking about art. And that's when I really kind of really reminded me that I should really be you know, using my platform a bit more to talk about disability because I could see from the comments that nobody really see nobody really sees it. We still don't see it a lot, even though it's 2023 and things are improving. The amount of people that said it's great to see, this is really great, that this, you know, I want to see more of it, just kind of reinforce that we don't see a lot of that kind of on social. We don't normalize it. I think we say we do, but really I don't think we do. Mm -hmm. Um and that is kind of up to where I am now. So um, it was an it was an eye opener and I had a lot of support from the from the tape doing that, which was really great. So 
That's yeah. very cool. And like you have you have you have an awesome journey. I, I loved hearing I loved hearing how you described everything. Um I have I have some I have some re- remarks that I I can kind of kind of relate relate to you in a sense. I actually started my college career and a journal and, and as a journalism major because I loved writing and I was I I've had a blog forever and um I felt like I felt like um I I felt like uh when people read my writing they could they could I I wouldn't be like for like I felt like when when people meet me face to face they're automatically like judging me because I have a more severe like I I I have like a more severe form of seropathy like it's harder it's harder for me to talk and like I like I look funny when I talk so I felt like I felt like like when people read my read my writing they can they're not judging me on my appearance and like like they're seeing like how capable I could be and um but then I took a news writing course and I, I, I that quickly turned because I, I didn't, I didn't, like, I didn't like news writing. So I, I switched, I switched majors after that. But, uh, but, um, but uh, I don't blame you for that. News writing is, it's hard. It's quite specific. And yeah, it's not the most exciting news writing. No, it can be. In the old days, it used to be really exciting. It used to be on the ground doing, you know, breaking news and all, but that wouldn't have been possible for me, like with the cerebral palsy. So yeah, I can understand why it's not for everyone. It's it's a vocation. And also you look lovely when you talk. So don't mind those people. <laughs> don't mind I'm, those comments. I'm, I'm very I'm very confident now, like 10 years, 10 years later, but but if you if you um but like 10 years ago I was not very I was not very confident because because like you said disability Disability is not talked about enough, and like especially ten years ago, it was like it wasn't in the media. There was like you know you know what I mean. Like there was no inclusion representation. So like so that played that played a really big part of it. But I'd I'd love to hear more about. I'm curious about the if you could speak more about the disability network. And Tate, I'm I I uh. I haven't really heard much on like companies doing that. So can you can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean there are a few kind of different networks in Tate. So there's LGBTQ plus, um, there's there is you know the disability network. There's parents and carers. There's quite a few different ones, um, that meets I suppose different different needs for people. So basically our disability network is made up of anyone who um chooses to identify as disabled and wants to talk about um any issues they any issues that they have or that we want to result that we want to kind of try and make better in intake so kind of something recently was our kind of quiet room and how that's used for you know anyone who has neurodivergency or anyone that just needs time away from the hustle and bustle of a busy art gallery so that's what those rooms are for and we were having a conversation like how can we improve this for people and how can we make sure that it meets the needs and that people are comfortable and 
um, and that sort of thing. But it can be anything. We can also have different speakers. We kind of have uh, monthly meetings and we um, have different speakers who have different forms um, of disabilities. So it's really just to, we have a, a mix of people and it's really to, to make sure that we are as inclusive as possible. So that also means, you know, we have our, we have um, a DE&I uh, network with this disability and um, equality and inclusion. So they work, I suppose, in tandem with the disability network to try and make sure, for example, that we're, we're meeting targets for hire, hiring diverse employees with different disabilities and abilities. So we do have, um, we have a program, we have, I suppose, a, I suppose a planned, Kind of numbers that we want to hit and we're always kind of thinking well how can we how can we increase um our the numbers of disabled people that apply how can we encourage them to apply and it's really just about making i suppose the journey of you know wanting to be an employee at a at a at a company that is quite big and has a lot of layers so we we, we really want to make sure that is as comfortable for people as possible um, so that's kind of what the the DEI network does, and then the disability network feeds into more, um, I suppose, to kind of smaller issues like how we might do things like how can we get more um, maybe disability um, art tours organised, or um, if anyone has any particular um, any kind of small projects they want to do, like we got um, small badges with different pronouns on them, which we thought was nice, so people could wear them around the galleries. Um, and different things like that so it can be anything it's, it's a wide range um, of things that Tate does and it's it's also about you know not just us as staff but also how can we make the experience better for people with all kinds of disabilities Um, so whether it's access near divergency and um, anything like that we just want I suppose our, our art is for everyone is something that Tate always says so we just want to make sure that everyone is feels as inclusive as possible. We also have kind of different um, like training modules. So how you can be a co-chair, how you can kind of effectively be a co-chair, what skills you need. And the main thing to remember is that everybody brings something different to the disability network. So my experience represents one side of it. And then all the other members bring something something different um via their own experiences but hopefully that makes up a wider picture of trying to include um as many people uh, as we can when we try and kind of tackle different issues that that might come up um so it's really great to it's really great to, to be a part of and to kind of try and and help uh, as many people not just staff to feel comfortable because um, I think I, I frequently say the word if you identify as disabled, because a lot of a lot of people might choose not to identify as disabled, even if they might have their own visible or invisible disability. So that's important. So mm -hmm. what I'd love to see in bigger companies is a real advocacy for people to feel comfortable identifying as disabled. And we companies really making that known from the outset that this is the work that they do. To make sure that happens whether it's having something on your you know your application form that says we're a disability first employer or something like that to make people comfortable so that's going to be uh, most places do have um, a DE&I department most do but you don't hear about it a lot like I went to a talk 
um, for Facebook some years ago. And they were asking the same question, like, what can we do to encourage more, you know, people with disabilities to come into the workforce and also to make them really comfortable. And at the time, obviously, the pandemic hadn't hit. So it was things like having, you know, work from home arrangements, which was only a thing for people when it affected everybody. Whereas I know, you know, disabled people that have been pushing working from home for years and the benefits of it before. Um, and I think I said to Facebook that the whole, I suppose, the the issue with, um, you know, disability and the workforce is that that awareness has to start from the very beginning. So from when you are trying to encourage applicants from even the transport to the interview, if it's not over Zoom, if it's in person, how can the person, you know, get to the interview? How can you make sure that they're totally comfortable when they enter the building? Um, as opposed to, you know, you having to say on your job application, well, I need, I have this and I need this, 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 and this. It would be great if companies could say, you know, we cater to all different sorts of needs in terms of disabilities visible or not you know please let us know how we can help you um so that's in part what i love what i loved about um and what i love about tate is that they're open they're saying yeah you know if you have if you there's anything we can do you know please let us know and, and that opens a lot of doors because very um we want to assume that everyone waves the you know equality flag for applicants but we know that's we know that's not the case um you know as you know ageism can be a thing you know with kind of with jobs particularly um you know a lot of people don't want to put their age on cvs a lot of people don't feel comfortable saying well actually i have i have a disability i have cerebral palsy it doesn't affect my ability to do the job but it does mean I have specific, you know, needs that I or requirements that I need met if I'm going to do the job comfortably. Mm -hmm. And that's what we don't see for a lot of people that want to enter the workforce. Yeah, I love hearing how um, the kind of like the different countries differ in the DEI process, like, like, and like Tate's DEI process is, is just a little bit, may, may differ a little bit from like the U.S. experience, but we we all have like the same goal, and like I love how I love how inclusive you 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 describe it to be. Um, and like one one last thing that I want to hit on that you mentioned is like how how disability is portrayed in the media. I think that that has a major impact on how society sees the disabled people and that that transcends to the workplace social like like social like you know what I mean like it transcends over over so many factors so I feel like if it, I feel like if it was portrayed a little better like more authentically in the media that it would be that it would that that um this whole inclusive thing would be a would 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 be a little bit um easier <laughs> easier yes yeah that's yeah. The word, that's the word I was looking for the word but do you agree with that yeah I mean I totally agree um I think the problem is that we don't see enough variations of people's experiences 
Um, and even for me, I use a K walker to get around. So um, if I'm outside, I don't I don't use a wheelchair a lot of the time. Um, and even even my own experience is that people are are jarred seeing the K walker because what they see a lot of the time in media is a wheelchair. So where people are almost subconsciously conditioned to see one aid as something that is more acceptable over another aid that they don't normally see. And, and that plays a big part of it. Like the, you know, we normalize what we see. And if you don't see um, people with various different disabilities all the time portrayed in the media, you know, inspiration porn is a big thing. And um, it's gotten a, bit, a lot better now. We definitely don't see as many kind of bad examples of, you know, what's deemed inspiration porn, you know, basically, which is disabled people just getting commended for doing normal things. You know, I always, I said to a friend once, I don't want to be, you know, told I'm great for just getting out of bed in the morning. That's just my life. It's not something that you need to idolize or put people on a pedestal for. So that is definitely getting a bit better. But, um, and also, as I said, it's about seeing kind of different, different stories from different people of different backgrounds. So I'm aware that my experience as, you know, uh, as this um, white woman who has been to college is, you know, undoubtedly maybe easier for someone that hasn't, that, that doesn't have those benefits. So even from my own situation where there are difficulties because I have cerebral palsy, there's privilege um, in my own situation as well. So, and I think even when, whenever we see anything in the media, either it's, you know, it's a, it's a young woman in a wheelchair or a young man in a wheelchair, you don't ever see like the in-between bits. You rarely see them get older. You know, you don't, a lot of the physical challenges are glossed over if it's a physical disability. So you just, you just don't see, I think there's rarely a, a anything that I could point to except for a French film called Rust and Bone, where you see physically how difficult it is for um the woman, the double amputee who had lost her legs. And in that film, they actually go through the motions. Why it's hard for her to do X, Y, Z. Why it's so difficult for her to shower. You know, she wants to swim, but even that's difficult. So we don't see that represented at all. It tends to be a glossy, you know, depiction. Someone uses a wheelchair or they don't. You know, they're often male and they usually... And, um, you know, get married to women that are fully able-bodied or non-disabled. And that's the narrative we see all the time. It has it has not changed in, I think, 20 years of, you know, cinema. I mean, it's a bit better on, on television. You do see a little bit more diversity on TV, but like, generally it is the same. It hasn't really changed. And like I've noticed that, or I haven't noticed, but it's, like this is getting better, so like I'm I'm gonna preface that, but like it's usually an able-bodied actor playing disabled. And, like I always cringe because like that's not a, that's not authentic. That's like that's not authentic at all. Like like you could you can you could tell that they're able-bodied playing disabled. Like like that is like I always cringe at that, but it has gotten a, it has gotten a lot better. Time's went on, but 
they hire uh, act actors that are disabled. But but mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing that I've noticed throughout the throughout the years. You know? Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, to give them their due, they do it very well. You know, kind of the theory of everything is done very well. I mean, my left foot is done amazingly well. But I mean, it's it's still so. There's bits of it that are still so insensitive. I don't know if you were if you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street. There's a scene in it, like, and this is only what 2014, so not that long ago, where Leo DiCaprio says he's so high on drugs he enters something called the cerebral palsy phase. And it's awful. I mean, I remember I seen it in the cinema. Everyone started laughing and I could see why it was funny, but it was totally, it made me so uncomfortable. So the fact that like a filmmaker and an actor and all of those producers thought that was funny to write that in and actually film it. And I mean, to give Leo DiCaprio his due, he even got like the hand kind of movements kind of on point, which is very difficult to do. But I just thought it was disgraceful and really like, that really showed me that we're actually no, we're no better really in terms of cinema than we were years ago. So that kind of thing is still getting done. There was a lot of protest about it, Amazing. but it was still getting done. So it's not, it's, we have a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done and there is a really talented and um, disabled acting community that are, that are out there that, yeah. you know, people can, and you know, people can keep, they can turn to, they just, it's laziness. I think I remember Sia did a, did a film called Music and the actress, you know, was non-autistic. She played an autistic um, girl that didn't have autism. And there was backlash, rightly so, because it's a wasted opportunity as well. If you have influence, it's a wasted opportunity. Like, I think we will at some point make kind of more progress, but probably not in my lifetime, <laughs> which is sad um, to say. I'd, I'd like to make this one, this one, or Mark, and then we'll do our, our closing question. Like, if I, if I want, like, going back to the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street comment, like, like, to me, if I, if I want to make one of my Sarah Wealthy, like, I, I have that, I, I, I can totally do that because I have Sarah Wealthy, but if somebody else, like, if able bodied act, if able able bodied actor, I put that in and like they're totally avoiding. Um, no, that's a that's a no no. Yeah, they it is getting better. Like I think they do have a lot of films now will have consultants, maybe that are disabled. You know, it's it's getting a bit better. But yeah. I mean that like things like that are still happening, which shows that there's, you know, it's small steps, but there's a long way to go. For yeah. sure, I'm, I'm, I'm positive it will change. I, I'm always hopeful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, closing out, I always ask my guests if they have any advice for those who are watching. So, do you have any advice for anyone that wants to start a career in uh, journalism or 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 like film or any anything that we talked about today? Yeah, I mean, for writing, I mean, just send your ideas pitch don't be afraid to send your ideas to to make it known to different magazines that you're an expert D disabled people are the experts on disability and if the editors don't know that you're out there that you have ideas they can't turn to you so that's what I always say well what I do I have this idea and you know I'm not sure I always say send the ideas 
Twitter and social media, it's very easy to get contacts for editors. All you have to do is kind of say, I have this idea, would any, what editor would like to take it? And, you know, the hashtag journal request one is really popular. So, you know, everyone has to start somewhere and it isn't necessarily about who you know or who you are. A lot of places don't mind if you're only starting out, but you have to start somewhere. And there's always, I mean, there's always, you know, disability is very, it's it's always in the, it's in the news a lot these days. There's always kind of, there's always a need for, for disabled people as the experts to come in and be the people to, to comment on it. So don't be afraid to pitch, send your idea, send a headline, you know, three or four or five sentences as to what the idea would be and build up the relationships and don't be afraid of no. You know, for every four no's that you get, you might, you'll get one yes. And um, as soon as you have, you know, one thing published, the rest will follow. Don't be afraid to use social media to kind of showcase your any portfolios or, or the things that you love. Like I do a lot of film online um, and don't be afraid to do that. And, and just, um, you don't have to, you don't have to have a massive portfolio if you want to write. You just have to, um, once you enjoy it, um, I think that comes through and that, you know, writing is a muscle. The more you write, the better, the stronger it gets. So I would always say, if you want to write, read a lot. Reading is great and write every day, even if it's something small. And yeah, once you get an idea, um, send it, send it to someone. Because if you have the idea that it might be important to a disabled person, it probably is someone else has probably thought of that already and hasn't said it to someone um you don't you also finally you don't always have to sell your story you don't always have to talk about your personal journey if you don't want to you can you you can comment on another issue that isn't personal or offer your insight on it which is good I think a lot of people feel particularly women as writers they have to tell you know really personal first person accounts of their lives and you don't have to do it either you can do it in a way that's comfortable for you and don't be afraid to tell a publication that you don't want a story framed a certain way, you know. Um, but yeah, so just that, always oh, just go for it um, and see what happens. Great, I love it. I love the UIC. It was, it was so uh, nice talking to you, Jennifer, and hearing your story and I'm sure it'll resonate with a bunch of, with a bunch of people on my viewers and it it was great talking with you. If, if you're if you're watching this and you want to be on an episode of Spathic Chatter, feel free to comment or send me a DM. I'd love to have uh, anyone and everyone on an episode. I was telling Jennifer before this that she's my 99th person to interview. So um, I'm going to hit that 100 very soon. Uh, but... Uh, check back periodically for a new episode and I will uh, see everyone in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye. For <laughs> Bye. Thank you.